This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You guys have heard me talk about Red Door Grill for almost a year now on 610 Sports Radio, and they're the proud sponsor of the Bobcast. And I'll tell you what, I'm a proud eater at Red Door Grill. In fact, my family and I love going to Red Door Grill, not just on Mondays for burgers or Thursdays for fried chicken, but just about every single day of the week. Because every time we walk into a Red Door Grill location, we're walking out of there feeling satisfied, feeling great, and knowing we got some of the best food in Kansas City. $5 burgers on Monday is where the week starts. You're not going to find a better deal than that. The best burger in town for just $5. You want some fries, it'll cost you a buck more. And then on Thursday, we have the jalapeno dipped fried chicken. That fried chicken starts marinating on Monday. It marinates on Tuesday. It marinates on Wednesday. It's got the herbs and spices to get into that chicken, and then boom, they flash fry it on Thursday to give you the best fried chicken that you'll ever have. And then, of course, happy hour every weekday, Monday through Friday from 3 to 6. That's where we cash in sometimes on Fridays as well. Enjoy those great drinks. Enjoy the great appetizer specials from 3 to 6 every single weekday at Red Door Grill. And with three locations, there's one close to everybody. 159th and Antioch, 119th and uh, Row in Town Center Plaza in Leewood and Camelot Court. And, of course, you can find the location in Brookside as well. It's Red Door Grill. For almost four decades, Kansas Cityans have known Michael Mahoney as the guy on TV who is bringing you the news from City Hall. Well, he's much more than just a City Hall reporter. Mike Mahoney is a huge baseball fan, and in fact, it was a tragedy that propelled Mike Mahoney to becoming one of the top reporters in all of Kansas City. In our latest Red Door Grill Bobcast, we talk with Channel 9's Michael Mahoney. I find this to be very interesting. I don't know if you find this to be interesting, but I do. You were born on September 11th, and up until 2001, nobody cared about that day. After September 11th, 2001, to celebrate your birthday on that day, a guy in the news business, is that strange? Is that odd? I I always wondered what it would be like to have a birthday on November 22nd when JFK died, or December uh, 7th, uh, Pearl Harbor Day, something like that. I always thought, hmm, what's that like? Well, now I know. And, um, you know, it's not as much as it's cracked up to be. Right. Yeah. yeah my wife was going to throw me a party uh, that uh, night uh, down at the quaff and it, it just went away. So, yeah, it's, it's very odd. And you get you get some strange looks when you put that down on your birthday, mm-hmm. 9-11. What, was that a big birthday for you that year? Was that like 40 or 50 or something like that where your wife no. was trying to celebrate something big for you? No, no. Uh, my wife is a firm believer that uh, the bank should close on her birthday, uh-huh. April 21st. Birthdays aren't that big a deal to me at all. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, no, it wouldn't have been a. It would have been a milestone or no, anything uh, like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was. It's, it's, it's very strange when you write it down and people go, hmm, but. Other than that, you so. you mentioned the quaff, and and that's always like the old <laughs> Channel Nine days. Like that's the lore. That was the place where oh yeah business got done in the day downtown, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, the old Channel Nine building was in the Lyric Theater building at ten forty nine Central, and the quaff is at ten ten Broadway. And uh, so 
everybody could still park their cars after work, go over, have a beer, and then head, head on home. Sometimes there were more than one beers, uh, and uh, lots of deals got cut. I got a, a buddy of mine I used to play ball with was so impressed with the fact that uh, the general manager of the station at the time, Wayne Godsey, came over, mm-hmm. you know, and he was uh, with the news director, and uh, they were bellying up to the bar just like everybody else, and uh, uh, Godsey went, uh, yeah, give me a scotch on the rocks and uh, Marlboro Red. And uh, the guy, oh, well, he, he can handle himself around a bar. Yeah, well, yeah. Godsey could, you know. And the the Quaff is just a saloon. I mean, that you know, that's all it is, and that's why I like it. You, you know, it, it's still one of those old places downtown. Now that we've seen the revitalization, revitalization of downtown, the Quaff is still like that place that reminds you of back, kind of like what it used to be back in the day before everything got it. You know, it, you know, fun downtown. I guess you yeah, could say. back when downtown sucked. Yeah, right. right yeah, <laughs> uh, because the first time I ever went in there. Uh, was a million years ago. I just started at Channel Nine, and uh, uh, the, where Barney Ellis Plaza is now, uh, the Mubach Hotel was on one side, but the rest of the Barney Ellis Plaza was ringed with these dive bars and uh, strip joints and all, all all that sort of stuff. And they also extended onto onto Broadway, and there was also a surface parking lot there. And I needed change to uh, throw into the uh, to the parking lot, so I walked in there at about. T- Eight fifteen in the morning, and here's like three, four guys, um, you know, uh, boilermakers, shots in a beer, and uh, they they had just gotten off work from some of the factories down in the bottoms or something like that, and it was kind of a seedy place. But uh, I went, hmm, it's pretty close, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I like seedy joints. So uh, a friend of mine and I uh, started going over there. And then the nightside crews started going over there, and then it became a hangout. So you made the quaff the Channel Nine. I did hangout. not make the quaff the Channel Nine hangout, but I frequented. And I I always claim in there I own a number of the uh, booths and the, several of the bar stools because <laughs> I paid for them. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting that an Irish immigrant would like to uh, have a couple of cocktails after work, and I think that's what people don't know about you. Maybe is that you weren't born here; you came over here to this country and kind of adopted once you got to the United States I was, of America. I was adopted, uh, Bob. I am part of a, a generation in uh, Ireland, uh, the the Dispora generation, where the Catholic Church and the Republic of Ireland, the government of, uh, of Ireland, um, had a program to basically collect as many illegitimate children as they could, put them into orphanages, and then market them uh, to folks around uh, around the world. And what was specifically uh, attractive about Irish babies uh, at that point is that for a lot of parents, it was a high probability they were white. Mm -hmm. Sounds very sad now. So anyway, um, I was adopted uh, uh, in 1954. I came over to this country on on December 24th, Christmas Eve. Uh, My mom and dad from uh, Iowa um, took the train out to uh, uh, New York to then Ida Wild Field. Now it's JFK. And uh, I know all this because uh, the old man took uh, home movies of it. Oh, wow. And uh, so the plane's landing. and So uh, you actually have video of you landing in America for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my or gosh. my folks do anyway. Yeah. yeah it did. And uh, so I've seen those home movies a million times. And it turned out um, there's a pretty high probability that the mother of one of my wife's best friends was a flight attendant on uh, at the time, a stew, stewardess, and... She is pretty certain she worked that flight from Dublin to um, uh, to, to New York and probably handed m- me over to my father. And there's a possibility that Ian Burns from The Elders, Kathy Quinn's husband from Channel 41, uh, her mom 
worked uh, on the uh, on the Irish side of this at Dublin and might have been, and there's pretty good probability, one of the people that put all of these babies onto the plane that went uh, that went to New York. So there's some real real weird cosmic associations going on there. <laughs> How old were you when you I was came? Fifteen over? months old. Oh, so okay. There's no recollection or anything like that. This is I very have a vague baby. recollection of being in an orphanage. Uh-huh. And there's another woman here in Kansas City uh, who was uh, a fr- is a friend of mine now, and we're pretty sure that we were both in that orphanage at the same time in Dublin. Um, and she went back before the place burned down in the '70s and actually got some pictures of it. And the pictures of the rooms inside is sort of what I, I have in my head's memory. I mean, there's no solid uh, uh, memory of it, but it, when when she showed me the pictures, I went, yeah, that's that's how I envisioned it. You're not uh, one of these guys that remembers every day of their life vividly, are you? I'm barely glad I made it here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you came over when you were 15 months old, and now you're living here in Kansas City, which is one of the the, the most densely Irish-populated cities in America. No, I mean, no, not, not really, but I mean, we've got a fair, fair amount of fair, fair, But I mean, a good Irish heritage here in yeah, Kansas absolutely. City. Yeah, I mean, question. so how how does that, like, you know, like do you look at that as irony, I guess, and think that, you, you know, one of the more popular Irish towns in... In America's where you're now calling home for the last umpteen years. 40 yeah, years. yeah, I've been here since 1980. Yeah, so more than umpteen, okay, right? Yeah, almost 40 years. Yeah, man. absolutely. Uh, I remember the uh, the very first St. Patrick's Day I worked here because they went, all right, let Mahoney, the Irish guy, uh, do it. And uh, there was a uh, bar where the city center square is now called Danny Hogarty's, and Hogarty was a good friend with an r- old radio personality in Kansas City by the name of Mike Murphy. In mm-hmm. fact, it was Murphy's uh, watering hole was Hogarty's bar. And they decided, okay, nothing's happening in Kansas City on St. Patrick's Day. Let's have a parade. And it was kind of a spoof parade just around the bar. Murphy talked it up on the radio, and um, it sort of caught on. And then the Ancient Order of Hibernians, especially a guy by the name of of Freddie Wersch, took this spoof promo for a radio station and took it seriously. And for about 10 years, ran the parade with a couple of his buddies uh, out, literally out, uh, out of their back pocket and turned it into what it is today, which is the the largest single day event in Kansas, Kansas City. And we regularly have crowds of 200,000 people uh, along the parade route. And in addition to that, um, the we have a wonderful, well-established Irish cultural center here. There are two different chapters in Kansas City of the Ancient Order of Hibernians. Uh, the Irish Fest is a very popular and succe- uh, su- successful event. And there are also lots of little Irish cultural events and parades around March 17th. All of that stemming off the Kansas City St. Patrick's Day Parade, which started in the early 70s, and of which I was a uh, the former chairman of the board and um, grand marshal and still hang around and work with it. I love it. You love, love it. it. It's it's great. I mean, have you been back to Ireland a lot to see not, where not you come lot. from? Not and, a lot. And, uh, my wife doesn't know this, but I, I think I'm going to pitch her on trying to go next year. Are you? Yeah. Are you, you, you getting close to that age where it's like it's time to go back and see everything before uh, before one yeah, last but, time yeah, or something? Well, or? Uh, well, I don't know if it's one la- uh, last time. You make it sound like a Bing Crosby. Right, movie. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you know. We'd have the opportunity to do it. I don't know. Next next year's an election year. We'll see. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, next year you're going to be 40 years here in Kansas City. I mean, that's a long time to be covering the city, be covering any city. I mean, do any job for a long time is 40 years. What's been the single biggest change that you've seen from when you got here in 1980 to where we are today as a city? The technology. Uh, the technology of the of the industry. Mm-hmm. The biggest change in the city is the, the renovation of downtown and... Uh, the 
the probability that, that Kansas City might become a tech and startup hub. Um, not sure that we're there yet, but uh, we're, we're trying, to, trying to make that happen. And then just because of where we are uh, on the map, Kansas City should be a logistical center of this country. And uh, I don't think we've done enough to, uh, uh, to take advantage of that. Certainly there have been uh, opportunities uh, to do it, but especially in the age that we're living in now, pretty soon, uh, Bob, there are going to be autonomous trucks on the, uh, on the route. And I'm not talking about 10 years from now. I'm talking probably about two years from now. And Kansas City is well-placed well to, to be a logistic center. We ought to take advantage of it. What do you think of the biggest thing that has held this town back? Because you're right, where we are located, we should be a lot bigger and stuff like that. I always blame the state line. Is that too surface-level stuff, or is there something else that's kind of held Kansas City back from growing to becoming what it could be, or having a delayed growth anyway? I think Kansas City's got an inferiority complex. Uh, the uh, People here are too nice. For instance, you never hear anybody blow their horn in their car at somebody for screwing up on an intersection. None doesn't happen in Kansas City. Happens all over the rest of uh, the rest of America. I'm not saying everybody has to be a jerk, but Kansas Cityans are just too damn nice for their own good some of the time. And I think it's well, we're not just not quite good enough. We're just not quite there, um, and that's not the case. For example, and, and you know this uh, firsthand, if you go to downtown St. Louis, Missouri, right now. And you look around, the place is not in very good shape. Right. And that's an understatement. Uh, it's, uh, downtown St. Louis looks the way downtown Kansas City did in 1990. Uh, if you get two blocks away from the Cardinal Baseball uh, Stadium there, there's nothing going on. You, have, you struggle to find a place to have dinner mm-hmm. in the evening. I know. I've done it recently. Um, and Kansas City has, in particular, this... Um, uh, weird relationship with uh, with st louis where i think we regard them as the big brother and that they're not entitled to that at all and i like the city of st louis a lot um but kansas city's got this inferiority complex i think i i I think you're you're right about that and i agree with you for the most part but i think the royals helped us change that inferiority complex when they started to win in 14 and 15 i felt like everybody around kansas city had a wake-up call went Oh shit! Yeah, we can do that. We are pretty good. We can go out there well, yeah, and be the good. Thing, I think know, that kind of brought Kansas City up. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no doubt. But uh, go back uh, uh, earlier in the club's history. In the late seventies, they were having these legendary uh, playoff uh, uh, series with the Yankees mm-hmm. and holding their own. They were uh, they were winning the Western Division, uh, and at that time, the St. Louis Cardinals were were terrible. They were they were. And I know I'm a Cardinal fan. They right. were, they just weren't any good. So, I mean, it was there beforehand, and the fact that uh, Kansas City uh, won that World Series, I think, is tremendously important for baseball because throughout all the uh, subsequent rotten years of terrible baseball, I mean, just double-A baseball Mm -hmm. at, at, at best, the memory and the spirit that lingered from that 85 World Series, I believe, kept Major League Baseball in this town. And then uh, the the restoration of it start, uh, started in uh, you know 2012, 2013, 2014. Uh, you know they got to the series, all, all all of that. And now we'll see where it goes because we're in another interesting time in terms of that team. Well, it, it is interesting as we're taping this. It's the day after they kind of announced that, that John Sherman was taking over the Royals, buying it from from David Glass and whatnot. And I, I personally think after talking to enough people over the last couple of days and, and whatnot about this move. 
I think it's the perfect move for Kansas City. It's a Kansas City guy. He's interested in doing the downtown stadium. He's obviously going to keep the ball club here because of all of his ties that he has to Kansas City, a former Royal season ticket holder. David Glass made it very important that he found the right guy to take over to kind of follow that legacy that he picked up from Ewing Kaufman. When I was reading up on Sherman uh, last night, um, I drew some of the same conclusions. All right. Guy is a baseball fan. He's got Kansas City ties. I think the franchise, in terms of being the Kansas City Royals, is okay. Um, you, know, you can't look too far down the road, but on the on the short term, if Sherman buys a club, and I think everybody believes that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll be here. How he r- runs it compared to uh, David Glass. Don't know yet. Yeah, you don't know that, and, and and that'll still be determined. One of your first biggest assignments in town, I guess you could say, was the Hyatt Skywalk collapse. Take me through how you found out about it and what that scene was like, because that's one of the obviously the most maybe most tragic event in Kansas City history. Um, when I came here from uh, Des Moines, I worked uh, the state capitol and was a pretty hard news reporter for the ABC affiliate up there. Got a shot at coming down here, and uh, the the job was to be a feature reporter. Okay. I can write a feature. They're okay. They're not my favorite sort of story to do. But I went, okay, let's get, you get into Kansas City, bigger money, blah, blah, blah. Let, let, let's take it from there, see where it goes. So I'm the feature reporter. And in 1981, the Hyatt builds its hotel in the Crown Center area. And one of the things they're doing to promote uh, the opening of the hotel is they want to draw people in so you can see the dramatic Hyatt atrium, which was a, a hallmark of Hyatt hotels. And uh, so they started having these big band dance parties from uh, late afternoon on a Friday into early Friday evening. And uh, so as the feature reporter, we were going to do this uh, story about this new weekend attraction that was ha- uh, that was happening. And uh, so we went down there. My partner was Dave Forstate, a very talented photographer who uh, went on to Pittsburgh. Uh, and we were shooting a story, a feature story on the dance. And we had uh, finished the principal photography on it, the B-roll, getting people dancing, the band playing, people having drinks, you know, laughing, smacking, having a good time. And we um, we had stashed all of our gear uh, over by one of the concierge desks, which happened to be at the time right under the second floor walkway. We uh, took the uh, gear and moved it up to uh, uh, the second floor. There was an escalator up to a place called the Terrace Grill that got us away from the band noise per se, and we could shoot some interviews up there, and the audio would be better. Uh, better. Mm-hmm. Dave was changing batteries to start doing those interviews. I had reached into his uh, his equipment bag to get the battery, and I heard this really sharp pop, pop, very metallic sound, completely out of place with the music and the chatter and the clattering of the glasses and drinks and stuff like this. And I looked up to the direction of, uh, of where I heard that sound, and it was the center of the second floor walkway, which was beginning to pull apart uh, in the middle and be- beginning to fall down. I actually saw it fall down. We didn't have it on video. Um, actually, probably a pretty good thing. Um, but uh, we saw it, and then Dave and I instantly realized what happened. Two things happened was Dave put the battery in the, in the camera. I dashed back into the kitchen, uh, went to a hotel house phone, uh, picked it up, and wherever the operator was, clearly she was not in that part of the hotel because it was, good evening, Hyatt Hotel, how may I help you? I need an outside line. She was oblivious to the fact that this had happened. Called the station and went, you know, get some help down there. I, I never said that people died in that, phone, uh, that original phone call. I told them that people were really seriously hurt. I was absolutely con- convinced after these two walkways just thumped to the ground that, uh, that you know, it, it had crushed people and, and they were dead. And then the other thing that was uh, uh, striking about it was after 
the second walkway pulled the fourth walkway down, and there's this giant crash, and this dust begins to uh, come out from it. There is complete silence, and it's absolutely quiet for about five or maybe seven seconds. And then people realize the enormity of what happened. And the people that were not injured began immediately to help the people try to pull the injured out if they can. Some people were literally trying to lift up these concrete walkways. I mean, it was futile, but they they tried because they wanted to help. And uh, then the chaos of a mass calamity like that uh, started. Uh, I came back, grabbed... uh, uh, Dave's recording uh, deck at the time. At the time, the camera was pretty bulky operation. You know what I'm talking about, Bob. Mm-hmm. And the recording deck looked like a thick briefcase. And so uh, I grabbed the recording deck and strapped that onto my shoulders. And so um, Dave and I are a tandem. We ride down the escalator into the first floor lobby where the chaos is and begin to record it. And, uh, the you know, the obvious question, uh, were you ever compelled to help anybody? My job at that point was to be a reporter and cover the story. There were lots of people that were helping. I never felt like they were shorthanded. Right. Did you, do you think that changed your career? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, I was a feature reporter here. And one of, Bob, one of the first thoughts, and it's very callous, but I'll, t- I'll tell it to you because I've told it to other folks. Uh, one of my very first thoughts was, you know, number one, holy crap. Mm-hmm. And one of the other first thoughts was, my feature days are over here, Spanky. And um, they were. Uh, from that point forward, I, co- I, I covered the investigation and went on to, you know, uh, more harder news subjects that I was more comfortable with, more uh, more happy with. So, yeah, it absolutely uh, changed my career. What, what was it like in the aftermath being on the air with all that and then having the ability to go around the country and, and be on the national programs and the and kind of the, the, the growth of you as a reporter because of that incident right there? Oh, I don't think uh, I, I don't think uh, the 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 TV appearances had much to do with it uh, at all. It was just, you know, be a reporter, tell uh, tell the story where the growth happened was uh, in uh, learning how to track paper, follow some leads, ask hard questions. There were uh, some pretty good reporters in town that were doing that stuff, and I had my hands full trying to keep up with them. Mm -hmm. So uh, as a reporter, I think covering the story, um, I grew a lot, uh, but, you know, doing it being on Nightline or any of that sort of stuff. It was just happening. Just happening, yeah. yeah. I, I also read that like after that, then you started covering organized crime in <laughs> Kansas City. Is, is that true? Like yeah. you, There was a beat to cover organized crime. Well, d- sort of, kind of. Um, what had happened was uh, in the early 1980s, the organized crime and the, and the Kansas City mob were a pretty substantial outfit, and they were highly regarded inside of order, organized crime circles. Um, as an effective uh, organization, and they had a national reputation. And so if you, anybody's ever seen the movie Casino, mm-hmm. which is, uh, uh, deals with the mob skimming money off hotels in Las Vegas, that project, that scheme originated here in Kansas City. It doesn't seem like that in the movie, but it originated here in Kansas City. Uh, the, the skim money came in on flights with bagmen from Las Vegas to Kansas City. Kansas City divvied it up. They were they were at the center of this. Kansas City was also very close to members of uh, the Teamsters National uh, Union uh, and um, uh, Hoffa and Roy Lee Williams and, and folks like uh, uh, like that. Uh, the Teamsters local here was very influential nationally in Teamster politics and te- Teamster pension fund stuff. So the mob here was substantial. And um, 
by the time I started covering it, it was just when the prosecutions really started to take place uh, here in uh, Kansas City. And uh, the the big federal trials, uh, they indicted uh, uh, guys from Chicago, from Cleveland, from Milwaukee. Um, New York knew about it. There weren't any defendants uh, on, on that. And the center, the center of the operation was was here in Kansas City. The center of the prosecution was here in Kansas City. And so I covered a lot of that and was on the uh, was on the the OC beat uh, uh, for a while, especially uh, the the guy who was regarded as the leader. Nick Savella died. His brother, uh, uh, nicknamed Cork, took over. Uh, they had uh, some very powerful characters in organized crime that were part of this that, uh, you know, I got to know on several different levels. So w- when I hear you covered organized crime, like you're, you're covering trials and things. You're not like out investigating this kind of stuff and trying to break stories on this, well, are there you? Was a, there was a little bit of that, yeah. yeah. Did you ever I'm, fear like, oh my God, I got to be careful here? Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, you know, um, I don't think I ever feared for my life, but I mean, you had to tread a little carefully. You know, so, some of these guys could be very nice. They were mean gangsters, but some of them were also nice guys if you got on the right side of them some of them weren't and um you had to tread a little carefully so you 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 never felt like you know somebody was going to knock you off or anything like that because you were telling the story and doing your job no i don't think so yeah (laughs) i'm trying to try to go back and think of the episodes yeah i I just find it compelling on how much organized crime really was here in kansas city and i I think it was i think people know that but i don't know if they know to the extent that stuff was going on here uh, up into the mid-1980s, Kansas City was regarded as a uh, city with a m- substantial organized crime family. And they were called the Outfit. And uh, the skimming prosecutions pretty much broke the back of that. Uh, organized crime is still around, but uh, again, it's still around in the, in the country, but not like it was back in the day. Why Kansas City for that? Because of the location of, of where it is? That and the, the history of the town... Um, Going back to the uh, Pendergast era where Kansas City was uh, a lot more wide open, speakeasies, a lot of topless clubs. They, they had, uh, in, in the 30s, they had uh, coffee shops around town where the waitresses wore nothing but the, wait, uh, but, uh, but the apron. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kansas City was, uh, was a wild place in, in the 30s. The mob had, had some of that. The political machine had some of that. Kansas City was known, had a reputation all the way into the 70s, really, as being a pretty wide open town. You know, we, we kind of touched on it earlier about, you know, this town with the, you know, the, the self-esteem issues and whatnot. And, and you know, kind of baseball changing a little bit of that back in 14 and 15. But why do you think, like, we're getting ready to embark on a new ownership with the Kansas City Royals? He's very open about a downtown stadium, from what I understand. We were very against streetcars, downtown development. Why do you think we fight change so much here? I, I, it goes back to the you know this sort of Kansas City nice for a long time, Bob. I think that the people that controlled the power uh, buttons and levers in Kansas City liked it just the way it was because they had their fingers on the buttons, mm-hmm. you know, and and they had had it the way they liked it. And so why change it? Because they were calling the shots, and those were pretty powerful folks. And that generation has passed and is passing, and there are a lot more the the, the power structures. Uh, a lot more diverse. I mean, you know, this summer we elected a 34-year-old guy mayor of Kansas mm-hmm. City. You know, uh, that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. I mean, even when uh, Manuel Cleaver was first elected uh, mayor, he was well into uh, uh, middle age. He was, you know, a much younger guy, but, you know, he wasn't 34. Right. You know, 
you had the opportunity to do some behind-the-scenes stuff with Quentin Lucas on the yeah. making of the Mayor Project, and, and we obviously talked about that on the radio show, and, and I thought it was very good, very compelling. Thanks. What did you, as a reporter, as a citizen, take away from that time with Quentin Lucas and, and realize about him that may make his, you know, what we may see as, as he's mayor? He is a very self-assured guy, okay? Uh, Sly James is also self-assured. Yeah. Um, and I think you got to be uh, uh, to run that. The the other thing is that uh, he likes people. Uh, some politicians will, all the politicians will tell you, ah, "I love the people. I love the people." Some of them don't. Some of them despise the people and think they get they, they get in the way of their their execution of their uh, their plans. Lucas seems to really like uh, like people. What he needs to do is probably step back a little bit and stop gripping and grinning and start to uh, start going to work. So. Yeah, and, and and is that is that something that's easy to do? Do you think for for guys like that or not? No, I think it's gonna, I think it'll be hard for him to do, but he has to do it. and He has to start doing it right now. Uh, I think he's in danger of over overexposing himself. I mean, he's still sort of in campaign mode. That's me. Sorry. Okay. Uh, um, uh, he's still in sort of campaign mode, and he needs to back off that and uh, get into governing. What, what's the biggest challenge facing him right now? Like you, we we saw Sly crime, James get crime, crime. Absolutely, is it how yeah. how is the mayor? Do you stop all that? Well, um, it's like turning around an ocean liner. Okay, it's not done quickly, but uh, he is uh, on the board of police commissioners. Uh, he's going to have a uh, a voice in. Um, Missouri government policy, if he wants it, even with a Republican uh, governor and Republican uh, legislature, uh, the city of St. Louis is gripped in the same sort of uh, deadly trap as Kansas City. In fact, right now they're in an even worse situation. Mayor over there is thinking about shifting more cops into the homicide uh, uh, department. She's even considering asking the governor to bring the highway patrol in to the city of St. Louis. Eric Greitens did that one time uh, while he was in the governor's office for 11 minutes or whatever it was. Um, And and so they're, I mean, they've, they've lost, God, seven, eight, four, five, six young kids to shootings just in the, in the last couple of weeks. We've had the problem over here. So the combination of whatever St. Louis can do and what St. and what Kansas City can do in a coordinated fashion will be real important about um, uh, trying to stop Kansas City from uh, being as deadly. I mean, we've already had a hundred murders this year, a yeah. hundred already. Um, so uh, we'll see. And I mean, even the Republican governor Mike Parson, who's an avid hunter, a big uh, two-way Second Amendment guy, uh, is saying, "Hey, we can't have St. Louis, Kansas City, and Springfield all in the top." in the top 10 list of most violent uh, cities. So, I mean, he, he's listened to it. The big thing for Kansas City to grow is it, it cannot uh, have, uh, have a reputation as Kill City. Cannot. Right. Will, you, will, will Mayor Lucas be remembered for anything sexy, though? Like Mayor Barnes is remembered for downtown. Sly will obviously be remembered for the airport. Is there, is there going to be anything like that? He's been that? a month for two. He's been in office for two well, months. That's what, but I'm asking you, like, it feels like, like yes, everybody before yes, him got yes. everything kind yes, of done. He's going to be you know? remembered for the astonishing welcoming, welcoming ceremony for the Martian flying saucer that lands at the sports complex in, in 2021. I like right? that. Right? I'm, I'm good with okay, that one. Okay. I, because nobody knows that Quentin Lucas has been taking Martian lessons and can, can uh, and is fluent in Martian right now. That's what it. That's what it's going to be. And you can't. And, and Fesco, you can't tell anybody this. Okay? I won't tell I got, anybody. I got that. this story. You got the story myself. ready to go, right? You're going to reveal that next year. But like all the big projects are done right now. Like other than the downtown baseball stadium, which I I do believe is inevitable now. Other than that, like we've got every we we've checked all the boxes of things right well, now. You don't that, know. You, know. you don't know. Uh, uh, for instance, um, 
maybe he get, uh, maybe he does something to uh, to address violent crime. Maybe he's able to uh, expand the startup um, tech industry here. Maybe he figures out a way how to get the streets fixed and the snow plowed. Well, that would be good if he could do that. Right, right. That's right. You fix the streets and the snow plow. Holy cow, you You get yourself a new legacy. That's that's the thing about being mayor. You can say whatever you want during a campaign, but you don't know. You just don't know what's coming. Yeah. Although, I got this Martian thing locked. I think you do. I'm going to hold you to that one. (laughs) You're a guy covering the news, but also a big sports fan as well. How vital and important do you believe that the Chiefs and the Royals, and even Sporting Kansas City, are to our town? I think sports are important uh, as a vehicle for people to uh, literally team build, not in the sports sense, but, but I mean, it gives people an opportunity to be part of something larger than them. All right. I think uh, I think sporting is a great example of that. Uh, to some degree, the Chiefs are uh, an example of that, although, you know, the parking lot of the Chiefs game is, uh, you know, pretty strange place sometimes as, <laughs> as far as i can tell I mean, i'm not paying 60 bucks to park out there and drink i'll go to the quaff right you know? yeah yeah um you know uh, uh and and it there's a real good prep sports scene here in kansas city too lots of uh, lots of folks like going out and seeing high school football high school basketball uh that sort of stuff um and uh I'll tell you something. I bet you you didn't know in your fine little homework here. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to officiate high school basketball around here. I did not know that. Yeah. I started doing it uh, up in Iowa. A friend of mine who was a reporter that I worked with uh, was, a, was an official. He got me started doing it a little bit, and then I came down here and got a lot. And now Bruce, Bruce went out to Arizona and got to be a big shot in uh, Pac-12 officiating. And uh, I think he even officiated some uh, – some Olympic scrimmages, I think. That's kind of cool. Yeah, oh man, yeah, 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 he's a great guy. So I did, uh, I did uh, high school uh, basketball around here for I don't know two or three years. I couldn't get a, uh, I couldn't get a really good varsity schedule because I couldn't hit those six thirty uh, sophomore games because I, uh, I had live shots. Right. But uh, the, um, the, the best, uh, the best rake I got was I was administering a free throw, and I wasn't particularly having a good game, not a bad game, but it wasn't great. And some guy uh, from the stand goes, hey, Maloney, I like you better on TV because I can turn you off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, I'm getting ready. Uh, to, I, I, I'm on the baseline, and I'm getting ready to uh, throw my partner uh, the ball uh, so he can administer the free throw. And that guy, hey, Maloney, blah, 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 blah. I look up my partner. My partner looks at him. We just start cracking up. Right. And I'm trying to, hey, all right, let's. All right, play ball here, blah, blah, blah. But it was a good line. <laughs> That's pretty good. My father-in-law has been known to go to high school games and haze the officials from every uh, now and then. So it could have been him. What, I got thrown out of a soccer uh, match for my daughter when she was in like eighth or ninth grade because I was, uh, I didn't think I was on the officials because I tried, especially after I, uh, I did it, um, I tried to uh, give them a wide latitude. But I got, I got tossed from being a spectator. And my daughter, who is now not a teenager anymore, uh-huh. okay, still gives me the jab on that. And you say, I can't, you know, what are you talking about? I can't believe it. You got run for my soccer match, Dad. Yeah. How embarrassing. <laughs> well, he really was. <laughs> he really was. That had to be embarrassing. In 2029, what are going to be the big topics we're talking about in Kansas City? You may be retired, but some of us still have to work. So what are going to be some of the big topics we're talking about in Kansas City? Transportation. Education, education will be a topic forever, everywhere. 
uh, especially in light of probably in the next decade, uh, America will realize they spent the previous decade um, eating the seed corn in terms of education and that they're going to have to restore American education to where it was uh, in order to stay competitive globally. Uh, transportation, simply because what we talked about earlier, uh, this being logistically the center of the country, they should take advantage of that. And then um, the, the other thing is going to be uh, uh, the increased uh, the increased concerns uh, over the environment. I mean, we've had a tough year with flooding. We've had a tough year with rain. That's not going to get any better. And um, it's going to continue to be a... Uh, something that uh, uh, this region will have to deal with because we sit in the middle of the farm, bar, uh, farm belt. And when the big corporations and multinationals decide that bread is going to be $10 a loaf, bread is going to be $10 a loaf, and that's going to, take a, that's going to put a terrible pinch in a lot, of, uh, a lot of people. So those are three. I mean, they're, they're, they're big, very big things. You know. And then uh, the third Martians, the Martians. Will, uh, will be here, and we'll be opening up. I like it. Where will you be in 10 years? Huh? Uh, listening to you on the radio. Yeah, I hope. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Hey, it's been great. Fun. Thanks. To say Mike Mahoney has seen it all would be kind of an understatement. And as you can understand from our conversation, he clearly has seen it all in Kansas City for the last four decades. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.